Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. Incredible guest today, Adam Caporn, who is the is head coach of the Long Island Nets of the G League, uh, and is you know in the Brooklyn Nets organization, and uh, one of the best player development coaches in the world. Uh, played at St. Mary's uh, in California. Played uh, NBL basketball for several years. Uh, ran the Center for Excellence for the Australian government to develop their best junior players. Uh, for international play, uh, just an incredible coach and player development person that I think you're really going to enjoy. So after this quick timeout, we're going to be back with Adam Caporn. I'm so excited to announce our new partner, Instat. Instat is a powerful web-based platform which enables you to store, edit, and share video linked to statistics. Their video database contains over 30,000 player profiles and nearly 7,000 team profiles. Thousands of basketball games from all over the world are uploaded daily, with many of them filmed exclusively by Instat. Instat's user-friendly interface is very intuitive. The flexible filtering system will fit the needs of coaches at all levels. You can sort through specific play types, locations on the court, lineups, and various other parameters. The Instat system contains multiple tools that clients from all over the world utilize for scouting, recruiting, coaching and player development, video editing, and tagging. They also take an individual approach to each client. The wide network of Instat account representatives allow Instat to best serve their clients 24-7. Also, Instat Production Specialists will provide you with a quick and precise breakdowns of your team and opponents in less than 10 hours. Need a certain game ready sooner? Instat gives you the ability to prioritize the specific games you want the data for first. Instat also provides free individual player access. So feel free to invite your players to the Instat platform so they can access their page, follow their performance, scout opponents, and share clips with other players and coaches. After each game, they can receive an individual one-page PDF report and video clips with all box score statistics. For more details, please visit our official website, instatsport.com forward slash basketball, and apply for a free one-month trial using code COACHINGYOULIVE. Again, that code is COACHINGYOULIVE. Contact Eric Stang at eric.stang at instatsport.com for more information on this offer as well. And that's E-R-I-C period S-T-A-N-G at I-N-S-T-A-T sport.com or click the link in our show notes. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And today I am so excited to have Adam Caporn, the head coach of the Long Island Nets, which is a G League team and NBA affiliate of the Brooklyn Nets. And Adam, welcome, my friend. Thanks, Brendan. Appreciate you having me. I should Love say your podcast wel- and excited to be here. I should say welcome, mate. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, Adam is a very close friend of one of my best friends, David Patrick, uh, you know, who's the associate head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners right now and uh, is also an assistant with Adam with the Australian national team, commonly called the Boomers. What do you think of DP? 
Uh, yeah, great question to start. Um, he, you know, he's uh, a great guy. And my experience um, with DP goes way back uh, when I was playing high school basketball in Australia. He was in the NBL and we were in the same town. And uh, he just always had that magnetic personality and, uh, and great to be around. And then um, when he was at St. Mary's, I came after him, replaced him, so to speak. Um, didn't do anywhere near as good a job as him. Oh. But he, uh, he's just, he's just an outstanding person and like the way he sort of helped me get started there and, uh, and, um, having the opportunity to work with him on the national staff, a great person, great coach, and really cares deeply about people. He, he is an absolutely amazing, uh, you described him perfectly. And, uh, one of those guys that, uh, we were lucky enough to be together for a year at LSU and, uh, if I don't talk to him every day, there's a void in my life, you know. And uh, so he, he's just uh, he's just an amazing, amazing guy and a brilliant basketball mind. As I've everyone, it seems that is associated that I know from Australia is just incredible. Why is is Australia basketball so strong right now? Um, I think it's uh, there's a few big parts to that. Um, I think. Uh, we have a very strong junior competition and historically a lot of investment in junior coaching. And we have um, what was formerly the Australian Institute of Sport, now the Basketball Australia Centre of Excellence. So like a pinnacle for our juniors to aspire to. Not not all juniors have gone to that program and some have you know, achieved a lot without going there. But um, with strong sort of developing programs, real investment in uh, in coaches at the ground level and a development program that is like the pinnacle of genius. So we would pick 12 of the most of the best prospects across the country, sort of between sophomore and senior years in high school. Um, and all of that system really is built for development. It's not so much built for competition. Mm-hmm. We have a state championships and we have junior national teams. But so my experience getting into coaching was that um, was a real culture of sharing and you were there to make players better and help them have a great experience. And the development was always part of it for coaches and players. Um, I think that's what we've done. So when done well, yeah. And so when you guys, um, you know, I know uh, with David Patrick and also, you know, I know he had a little influence, uh, you know, getting both Patty Mills over to St. Mary's yourself and so many other incredible players over there and to play for the, legendary randy bennett and then you you after you went and played there you even coached there yeah talk about i mean now i look at uh, randy's team i saw them literally two three weeks ago one night at 11 o'clock at night you know and i can't sleep and all of a sudden i am watching them just kill a team and DP tells me the next day, yeah, they're almost all Australians and Lithuanians now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Sp- yeah, it's a unique yes. program. I, um, you know, when I, I was the first Australian to, to play there, um, and I often say I'm known for being, at times known for being the first, but not for being any good, which is a shame. Um, but the my experience there and why I think it has worked for Australians um is is just the culture made sense like it's a sort of smaller community nestled away on the west coast and coach bennett was all about team and toughness and that just sort of resonated didn't feel like a big transition to be honest like from mm-hmm. high school in australia to plan for coach bennett was 
pretty consistent. Defensive orientated, team first, valued toughness. You know that that fits really with the Australian ideal and our national teams of a culture. Uh, talk about Brian Gorgian now. Um, you know, he, he seemed to be a perfect f- fit to take over yeah. the national team. Uh, how does someone just fit in and just you have you have a mix of NBA players and terrific other players? How did he fit in with those guys and they respected him so much? You could just tell the way you guys played. Yeah, he's got so many great qualities. It's hard to um to you know get in a few sentences or something like that. But uh, it was completely obvious he was the right man for the job. He had great respect from the playing group already. Um, and that's because not only is he a successful coach, uh, he coached some of the guys previously, but he really pours into his people. He can push them. He can be demanding of them because he's really invested in personal relationships and the time he would put into that on the phone, dinners, um, connecting with, with the playing group and the staff. And that's how I felt is that, you know, I would, I would just love the opportunity to work really hard for this guy because he makes me feel appreciated. Um, and, uh, and he's a great basketball coach. So, as the uh, as we got started, his um, his command of the playing group or the respect of the playing group was really really obvious. And he's a great defensive coach, um, good across the board, great game coach. But he has so he has lots of good qualities. But he has an outstanding ability to feel the pulse of the team and push them in the right direction. Know when to be demanding. Know when to take his foot off the gas a little bit. He's obviously very experienced, um, but as a as a guy that delivers a message and um, at the right time in the right way and puts a lot of time into thinking about what that message is, I've he's as good as I've seen. Really outstanding. What did it mean uh, for the Boomers last year to get their first medal in an Olympics game, Olympic game? Oh, hard to define. Really hard thing to put into words. You could. The feeling was incredible. The uh, you know someone that came into on the coaching staff through it, the process, like after Rio is when I joined, um, but knew a lot of those players, uh, had previous friendships with them to see what they had gone through, and feeling like really connected to it because you know we're so invested in Australia and our in our in our boomers. Yeah. Um, really, I wanted it for them. Like that was the overriding thing for me for Patty and Joe and Delhi and. Bogut, who wasn't there, and all guys that had poured in Andrew Gaze and going way back, you just felt sure. that this was something that people cared about so deeply and had poured into. And um, they'd stuck with it for so long. Like they'd taken some knocks. They'd been knocking on the door. They had you know, gone through a real adversity. And the belief through that adversity was, was really something special to witness. And so to just feel really joyous for all those guys to get what they – what they've been striving for was was really special. I think the uh, teams, international teams in countries outside the U.S., they have an incredible commitment to country, uh, whereas the U.S. teams, they've always been more about the team that they play for during the regular season and almost treat when they have something like this, even if it's a junior USA team, you know, which we've done incredibly well. They're more like all star teams, right? They they get together for the for the event. They put together a nice team. They have good coaches and everything. But their familiarity, they don't really have a culture per se. They have 
a common bond of wanting to do well. Explain how one builds a culture up for a country on a long-term basis. Well, one of the things I love about um, international basketball is the is the culture, not just of the team, but the culture of the nation shines through. You know, like that's mm-hmm. sort of what your team is built upon. And for Australians, you know, playing for each other, for your mates, um, as one sort of example, that that is one of the best parts about it. You get to like represent your friends you grew up with and, you know, um, the pride we have in our country. So, and you feel that from other countries and the different, and it sort of comes through in their basketball style as well. So um, it is a really, it is a really cool thing to be part of. I think I can't speak so much about, about the U S but there are different challenges. There's more, our demands in Australia, for example, um, it's just one sort of big system. There are there are demands at players like you know a school team might want a young player, whereas their club team might want them at the same time. But generally, it's a pretty you know the synergy is strong. And when you get a chance to go play for the national team, everyone is happy for you. You are like that's what you're working for. Um, and you know the international leagues stop for the windows, and for the most part, not all actually, wow. some of them do. I should say. Um, but in juniors, anyway, that's sort of how it's built. Like the clubs are built to try and make state teams, to make a national team. That's what you're working towards. And then when you get there, and we have our sort of national academy as well, those those guys you play with, and you go play internationally in very difficult circumstances with slightly different refereeing styles, and go through that adversity together and have some great times. That bond is very strong. And so from juniors, then some of those guys obviously make the senior national team, so those bonds go on decades. And uh, and it's a really special thing to be part of. That that sort of is sort of the natural flow of things, I guess. You know, I I, I remember um, in my conversations with David Patrick all last year in uh, his preparation for the event. Um, you know, and we were in a COVID period here in the states, and you know, trying to get the NBA players to get to California in maybe in June, yeah. right? You know, to, for training camp yeah. and stuff like yeah. that, you know? Uh, and all the calls that he would have uh, with the coaching staff talking about everything. I'll be honest with you. When we had the damn dream team, you know, we, we got together out there. And, <laughs> uh, the biggest thing was just make sure they all showed up, you know? And, you know, and uh, that was, that was that. And, you know, but it's such a different world now of, you know, back then, we just showed up and we won. Now that ain't, that's not the case anymore. Now the players around the world, they're so good. We only had a handful of players back in '92 when we, for, when professionals were first allowed in the Olympics, uh, and a, f- a couple of NBA players were actually, you know, in the Olympics. And now yeah. I think we have between a hundred and a hundred and twenty-five. NBA players that are international, which I think is just what it's an explosion of what's happened because of international basketball. Yeah. It's a, it's a, like I said before, it's a really fun thing to be part of and to see the game, the game sort of grow and unite globally is, um, is really cool, really special. I think, uh, you know, when you're, when you're part of the Australian team, you know, you've got to punch above your weight, so to speak, you expect that of yourself, you know, you're not, you're not um, thinking you're the most talented, but you're not thinking you're less talented either. You just go into each competition. And that's 
you know, that's the case for many of the countries there. You know, I mean, Lithuanian basketball is a good example. 2.8 million people have basketball power. Um, and it's built over time, as you've sort of, as you've mentioned, um, it's a, it's an expectation. That's a great thing. We're going to take a quick time out, Adam, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about what goes into uh, making up of the team and how you guys prepared for the Olympics, because I am absolutely fascinated with it. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class. It can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Back with Adam. And Adam, let me say this. Uh, talk about uh, what what was the Australian basketball philosophy. Let's take first offense. What was the style of play? And I think you, know, you had X number of NBA players and you had some really good national players. How, how does one... How did your staff put together how you were going to play? Uh, a lot of Zoom calls, as you mentioned before. <laughs> um, and, you know, like lots of teams, you, you're dealing with different constraints. And one of the constraints is time. Um, we had a couple of camps and we're going to play games that, you know, are very important. Um, and we know who our team's built around, who our best scorers are, who's going to make decisions. So, um, now, there's so much sort of five-out transition basketball in the world at the moment. You can find some actions that a lot of guys know. And I think when you have short preparation time, you don't just run that stuff because they'll know it, but you can steal little pieces of it and shapes and ultimately get down to these little chunked three-man games is one way I like to think of it. And mm-hmm. an example might be stack or Spanish pick-and-roll action that we might have a starting point. Here's our shape. Here's how we're getting into things in transition. And we can get into stack, as we called it. And we'd have some strategy as to on that and reads that we'd talk about, you know, if the opposition switching, we'll slip out of it, simple things. And so those little three-man games that happen all over the court might be splits in the low post or um, and we had low and high post actions. Those little chunk actions, um, you get your best players, decision makers involved in them and give them Give them information, obviously, in scouts and some reads that they can make. But all these guys are so experienced and played together previously that they'll make, they'll start making reads in those simple actions really quickly. Um, and I thought that's what um, we did well. Matt Nielsen had um, come from the Spurs and uh, and worked with Patty previously, and right. really drove the the planning of our offense. And we just added bits and pieces as we went. Um, but the the simple outlines of it were. Was sort of through the shapes he bought, and then some some 
chunked actions is how I like to say it. Like this little three-man game that occurs here and this is how we'll get to it. And we can get to another way. I never heard then the we, terminology uh, chunks. I like that. I like well, that. Well, it's, like, it's like a learning theory, right? Like yeah. Chunked, um, I like that. Little blocks. Yeah, blocks. And so, yeah, little building blocks. And, and any time they show up, we know how to play out of it. And uh, the other thing, you know, the thing we're gifted with with that team that we were coaching is just great unselfish attitudes. Like we've got some really good scorers and shooters, but, I mean, guys were just – you don't have to ask them to play unselfish. They're going to do it. Right. They, they, they believe it. So let me ask you this. Uh, from when Brian and the staff were teaching any of your actions, let's say your transition game or a set play, did you guys believe in teaching – the whole method so the players could see what the whole thing would look like and then break it up into the building blocks or chunks? How did that work? Or did you do chunks yeah. into that? Just out of curiosity. It's a, yeah, it's a great question because uh, Brian would bring it up a lot. He would say, like, he really believed in whole part whole. Me too. Um, <laughs> as Yeah, as do I. But the time constraint is big. And so we really did – what we did instead was um, pretty simple walkthroughs, shooting drills out of those chunked actions, like – you know, maybe it's a sort of screen the screener action and we would just that's what we'd shoot out of or do you know your little vitamin workouts out of a lot of it was just teaching out of those things rather than we're just going to line up and shoot yeah so you're always trying to steal the opportunity to um to sort of put something in and we try and steal it in scouts like you know that other teams are going to run spanish stack pick and roll so all right we're doing that as part of our shell drill and then we've got it in on offense as well we were always looking for those sorts of efficient ways to get things in um, and then we just played a lot five on five. Okay. And ultimately, that's what you got to get to with those those guys. And they'll they're often more advanced at that level than you think they might be, in, especially in certain areas. So I'm I'm going to be the bad guy here. So in, yeah, and you in the U.S. you're my friendly Australian. Uh, so what what would happen in the U.S. at the high school and college level? The way we would teach would be four on four, especially shell drills. Okay. Yeah. And um, and my belief happened to me with when I was coaching a team, and I said, "My God!" All of a sudden, the NBA shifted from a, you know, we would do our typical uh, two guards, two forward shell drill, like everyone had done for a hundred years, and all of a sudden, the whole world of basketball turned into a one guard middle pick and roll uh, <laughs> or drag type of, you know, offenses. And all of a sudden, the two and the three man on your team defensively are in the corners guarding the two best shooters, and they've never been down there one practice in their life because your shell drill, they were at the guard position all the time, and they had no idea what the hell to do. And so literally Chuck Daly and I, one day we were sitting there and said, you know, this is really nice. We've been doing this for 100 years, but, you know, the last time we both looked, no one's playing four and four, you know. And, and <laughs> right. so we then changed – the, every shell drill we did from then on and every offensive thing we did was five on five. And it changed the way we coached. We were much better coaches that way. And the players, I thought, instead of doing a drill, they now were defending the action we're going to play against. And I thought that just changed us. But I can't get college coaches to change with me. <laughs> how, about, right. how about that? Right. Yeah, the uh, the things that are sort of steeped in basketball tradition and especially, and you understand it because there's so many great college coaches and successful coaches that don't have the same constraints and they've been successful a different way. Um, so I understand it, but I'm I'm with you in the sense that 
the game's evolved. And yes. so for Sheldrill should evolve. How we teach defense, how we implement it will not change completely, but will evolve. And I, I think going on what you're saying where the game is is different shapes and and actions that individual fundamentals, of course, the most important thing. Um, and then it's, I think it's often three on three and five on five. And the three on three is, you know, like we did defensive stations today and you're working on, you know, how you might stack is a good option, a good example, but switch a late, switch a pick and roll, um, screen the screener. And then all of a sudden you're into the, the opposition's system and doing it five on five. That's sort of the, the progression I've been going through more now. So when and we you, did with the national team. Yeah, when so when you went to St. Mary's as a player and then you went back to, you know, after you finished playing and you went back and played professionally, in, was it, in, you know, the what is now the NBL and stuff. Yep. And, and great coaches, love it. And But back then, for the most part, I would bet that most pick and rolls, if teams ran them, most of the coaches are hedging or showing on a ball screen, right? You know, back then. Yeah. And no one was switching pick and rolls. No one. I mean, and and like I remember when years ago when we first people first started to switch in the NBA, they said oh, that stuff's never going to work. And that, <laughs> you know, and now I watch and I'm saying, was I'm watching a game? I say, why aren't they switching? You know, and yeah, yeah and it, and it's fascinating. So uh, when 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 as you were teaching uh, since let's say 2014, you know. You know, when you were teaching the young, the best prospects, the 15 to 20-year-olds at the Center for Basketball Excellence, when you're teaching those kids, um, you know, the fundamentals, when did you go to, you know, to, let's say, switching on pick and rolls, or are you still teaching everything, all the different yeah. colleges? I mean, there's such a luxury there because you do have time. Yeah. You know, like there's no – we've got the players. It's like a, a college program but without – Without games, um, you know, no training hours, <laughs> restrictions, <laughs> um, just load management, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know to go to go backwards, and this doesn't really answer your question, but um, my experience as a player was going through juniors, and really, you didn't do pick and rolls in, in, when you're younger. Yeah, and no. then I got I got moved to point guard at some stage, and that was clearly my sort of going to be my position. And all of a sudden, pick and rolls were the only thing you did. All of a sudden, there were different ways that they were defended. And that all happened very quickly and kind of in an instance. And um, I think, two, the one, the game had evolved. But two, it's just not necessarily the best way to play in juniors. But sure. if you really care about development, and that is what's great about the center of excellence, the driving force, like it is in the G League in many ways, mm-hmm. is development. Getting those players better is more important than winning the game on the weekend, for sure. We got to, you know, we're competitive. We want to win, but um, having the ability so when a player leaves that program, you need to know how to switch a pick and roll. You need to know how to hard hedge. You need to know how to play drop coverage, and it might be slightly different to the way other people teach it. But you've had some exposure. You know what the objective is. Like we would say, well, generally hard hedging would be the, we're trying to make the guard give it up. Right. We're going to make him give it up. He's we're going to keep him out of the lane. So that's your priority, and then we'll deal with the other. This is how we we'll deal with the other problems. Um, and when drop coverage, your job is to stop layups. I'm talking about the big guy. You're stopping sure. layups from the roller and the guard, and we're trying to force tough contested twos. And and obviously, analytics have played such a role in evolving our game. It's just more information to be had. So one in scouting, and two in big evaluations. You can 
um, that's changed things. Like like the the contested floater we know is not as good a shot as we potentially will the, the mid-range jump shot as people may have thought it was years ago. Um, not to say it's not still, there's not a part for it, in the, a place for it in the game, but all of that, I think, you know, really just got, got to a place at the COE where we would, we would always say, we're going to do a little bit of everything. We're going to play close attention to what's happening in the, in the basketball world. We're not going to do a little bit of everything poorly, but the big pieces you need to know, you're going to know well, and you're going to leave here with an education in that. Um, we're not going to hard edge every pick and roll because it's going to get us a win on the weekend. Right. So when when you are te- when you are teaching, and you're putting things together, it's it's strictly more for education than it is with the emphasis of winning tonight's game. Let's say or something. You'll have a plan for tonight's game if you are, let's say, in the G League, of course. But when you do a practice time. It's educating them on all facets of the game, correct? Yeah, the G League's like still more tilted towards development in my mind, for sure. Uh, right, but you'll do things that are um, more scouting and things like that than we would have done at the COE. Um, sure, we would do scouting to a point that the players knew how to execute a scout and had been through them, and then went to college, and it was not a foreign concept to them, of course. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, to talk from the, the COE perspective, firstly, that we would go through the coverages, you know, sort of three big ones, hedge, switch, drop. Um, there's others, but the three, those three big ones and what we're doing off the ball in the preseason. And we start with the hardest one, which is hedging, and, you know, that causes more rotations. You get good at rotating and good at closing out and reading the play and communicating. Um, but always, like in... You know, individual workouts, uh, how to execute a, a drop coverage and how to attack it. And then next, okay, they're, they're in hard show. And that we still do here at the, the G League um, in terms of a player's vitamin or individual workouts or small group workouts. It's building in like player knowledge of reading these simulations that occur in the game. Defense is hedging. I do this. Defense is dropping. I do this. Here's my little framework. They're in drop. It's my layup, big layup, kick it out. Um, I think that's the, sort of one of the driving forces of development. Yeah. I, as a aside there, I think one of the things that um, when, when it's so important to teach the young people uh, or all players, whether they're old pros, it doesn't matter how to read coverages and what play to make, to read and react to the coverage. Uh, just like yeah. we did years ago without pick and rolls, whether we were just coming off screens, whether it was coming off a down screen or, or, or you know, to whether I flare, whether I curl, et cetera. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and, but I think that we have to do a good job of teaching players how to read defensive coverages and then react appropriately. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is so, so critical. Hey, let's take another quick time out, Adam, and then we're going to come back for our last segment after this timeout. Coaches, are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? Then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. With FastDraw, build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,500 free plays and drills from our playbank directly to your FastDraw account. Looking for a better way to build your scouting reports and want to include video? With FastScout, Build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team best for each individual opponent. 
Plus, did you know with the latest updates from Fast Model Sports, you can now include video with your Fast Scout reports and share with your coaches and staff all within the Fast Scout mobile app. The combination of Fast Draw and Fast Scout is by far the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effectively communicate them to your team. Over 10,000 high school and youth coaches trust Fast Model Sports products to help their teams reach their goals. To order, go to FastModelSports.com. Use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw or Fast Scout products. Remember, Go to FastModelSports.com, use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw and Fast Scout products. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Adam, uh, I understand what your job is with the Long Island Nets. Understand your background. What would you? How would you describe what your strength is as a coach? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, certainly, without you know, wanting to sound arrogant. No, I, no, uh, no, no. Just, yeah. uh, just a few friends are going to listen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, on most staffs, generally, my just my skill set has been on the offensive side of the ball. That's usually where I you know, play point guard. I like that side of it. And so the ability to um, help implement offense and teach it and teach reads, but also just make decisions in the game and adjustments offensively. Um, I enjoy and have had that role on a, on a number of teams. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's been – that I had the opportunity to do that's somewhat unique – at the COE is just, is plan a year and multiple years and a development plan across the year of when we're going to um, implement certain, like a macro cycle of different things we're going to focus on in our development plan. It might be an introduction to mindfulness and things like that. And uh, so in short, seeing the big picture across the year, I think is something I've developed and enjoy. Um, you can't just do the, you can't fit in every, everything in every week. Um, and I really like having a plan on that. Um, and 
I mean, the part I enjoy the most and is the most important is the ability to develop meaningful, meaningful relationships and, and be a great communicator. And I wouldn't say I'm a great communicator, but I really believe in telling people the truth and being direct and investing in relationships such that people know that you care about them getting better and it's not personal. Um, that's always the, that's the great challenge. And, um, the great coaches I had just can do that at a high level. So a couple of coaches that are really excel that I know at player development use this phrase, which I totally buy into. You can't develop players unless you have an out, a really good personal relationship with them. You just can't go and say, here, do these drills. These, these worked for player X. They're really good yeah. drills. It's all about, and I think it, it goes not just development. I think it's just flat out coaching, but, uh, speak to that. I know you just did in a way, but you know. Yeah, the development part, people, there's no cookie cutter approach to it. It's not a list of drills that you can just do. It's not that. It's a lot of coaching and development and partly because there's a lot of good players out there and to to make it and get what you need to get, um, you need to be pushed. You know, you need to go through some adversity, you need to fail and you know, the challenge of a coach is to have sort of have a clear vision, a real, a real develop a real growth mindset and help the player be process orientated. Without the vision, the adversity is going to be too tough. And the player usually brings a vision to develop. I want to play in the NBA. But if you don't have a really good, meaningful personal relationship, um, that they know you care about them and you're trying to get them where they want to get. That's the key development. That's the part I'm on board with. You want to get in the NBA, let's do it. And so therefore, through that lens, I've got to hold you accountable for some things because that's what we all need in our life. We need mentors. We don't need enablers. And, you know, that's the, the role of a coach in development, not just the drills and teaching skills. So when you're working with a player, let's say in the G League right now uh, with Long Island, um, do we do we have to talk to players that at this age – about how important it is for them to be coachable. Um, I haven't had that experience. No, nope. uh, everyone here, you know, we've got really great guys on our team, and part of that is obvious. And one of the great parts I've learned, I guess, or just the, one of the great experiences of this is just understanding more and more of the players' perspective at different periods of their career, and they're going through something very difficult. They're in the G League, they're striving for a, a dream to get out and get to the NBA. Sure and to make life-changing money. And there's stress and anxiety that comes with that. They want to get better. If um, I think they need to be better at something and handle something well, it's usually because their own frustration at not getting there quick enough or something like that. It's often well-intentioned. So they're coachable. They really want to get better. They want to work um, has been my experience. And, uh, you know, understanding that they're trying to do something really difficult and be patient with themselves is yeah. often the, the sort of – Thing you're trying to preach do it do any young players uh and i'm i'm really talking really not the australian player but the the u.s player that you have let's say um when you are truthful with them do many is any or some interpret that as being critical of them there's a difference right uh i'm being truthful yeah. with to help you grow as opposed to you're always picking on me you're critical you're criticizing me which they misinterpret your truthfulness. 
Yes, for sure they do, but I wouldn't make any delineation between Australian or American. That's athletes that's, everywhere. That's humans. Um, that's yeah. students everywhere. That's human. Yeah, um, right. That's coaches, and that's you know, true. I don't always. No coach does deliver the message perfectly for every individual. Every individual, you know, is different and is more sensitive or less sensitive or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I I believe that telling the truth and accountability for sure have to happen. And I'm trying to deliver that message and create the the environment where that's, you know, accepted and motivating, but I make mistakes on that. And having, that's where you're going to have those personal relationships and willing to have discussions outside of that and, and be vulnerable yourself as a coach. Like I'm totally willing to admit to a player that I, I could see that, you know, you didn't appreciate how I said that. And, um, you know, I should, I'll, deliver it differently in the future or whatever uh, it might be. I sure. think those vulnerabilities in the coach are, are important in leadership. I agree. That's great. Um, what, what are some ideas from international basketball that could improve basketball, let's say in the U S at the high school, college or pro level, whether it be the construct of the game uh, from four quarters uh, to the 24 second clock. We in high school basketball here, we have no shot clock in most of the States. Right. Uh, you know, we, you know, in college ball, we have 30 second clocks. Um, you know, I international, we have eight seconds to bring it over as we do in the NBA and G league, you know, thoughts on any of that. Um, well, I, you know, I would say this recognizing that I didn't grow up in the USA. So the sort of, I probably have a different perspective on the tradition and, and history of things with the shot clock in particular, but. Um, so I'm not a fan of the long shot clock. I think uh, there's some really interesting ideas out there um, of, of different things different countries do. Um, but the, the striving ideal is what are we trying to get done? Like what's the objective? We have some freshmen, sophomore kids in high school. They're playing for our school or our club team or whatever it is. What's the objective? If it's, if it's win, great. Like, there's a lot to be learned in that. But for sure, playing to win and playing to develop, uh, you know, young players—they're different. They are definitely different. Um, performance and learning are definitely different environments. They are not the same. And so, we'd always talk about how, you know, we need a, a high-pressure environment at times because players need to learn to perform under pressure and um, and how to understand how to win a basketball game. We're going to value winning for sure develop competitiveness the best we can but i guess the the harder things if you're i think an easy way to explain it is if you've got practices if you've got a practice and the game two practices this week and the game's on the weekend the best way to perform in the game is to just get as organized as you can not turn the ball over keep the ball in front of you make them shoot overhand things like that Mm -hmm. um for a longer-term vision of players you know, maximizing their development, you should have a, a learning environment will have just a higher level of trial and error. There'll be more mistakes. It'll be a messier practice. There'll be simulations created, small-sided games that occur in the game, and you'll question the players after that and help them develop their, um, you know, provide, it's just a different type of feedback. The intrinsic nature of that helps them longer-term learning outcomes. That's not, there's just no, there's not great benefit for the coach in that. So 
that's why you know one of the things in Australia was like development coaches were really valued. You were paid for the players getting better. That's what was observed. Um, if you won or lost a few more games in juniors, it was just viewed differently. Um, but we want to win just as much as anyone. So sure. um, I think that's one thing. This is, when I say there's some interesting ideas out there, I think uh, I've seen some things in other countries where it's four on four at younger ages and uh, lower in smaller balls for longer and um, no zones and things like that that I think uh, are really interesting, but ultimately a practice environment that's tailored for learning, not for performance for longer periods when you're younger is the key to me. Oh, oh, you used a term before, and I want to make sure our listeners understand it, small-sided games. Make sure that they yeah. understand that. Please, if you would, explain. So um, when, you're, when you're trying to facilitate a high-quality learning environment, mm-hmm. you, want to, uh, you want to have open games, so not blocked or closed. So the, let's say it's a shooting drill. Um, three players in a line taking the same shot consistently is a closed drill. There's not variation in the environment. There's no decision-making involved. The skill acquired in that doesn't translate that well to a game and you don't learn that quickly. Once you're on autopilot, you're not really learning anything. So best you can organize sort of con- small games. Let's say it's three on three with constraints. Like maybe you want to develop your passing and, we had this drill at St. Mary's. It was a simple way to develop passing. We'd be three on three, no dribble, no shooting for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You can teach pivoting, passing, rather than explaining it with your voice and the technique of passing. There's learning to be had and questions, questioning techniques that the coach can use to uh, facilitate deeper, more meaningful, longer learning outcomes is what most of the literature I experience and my personal coaching experience demonstrates. So um, we call those small-sided games. They're just little simulations you might create often three on three four on four that um little parts of the game that you you build the constraints in with uh, with your in your design i love it that's great adam man thank you so much for taking time during your season as you're on the road right now and uh taking time to do this uh, i know our listeners are really going to be excited about this and uh i can't wait to catch up to you in person especially in the summer and uh you know and, and you're 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 special to us at coaching you we really thank you i appreciate you having me brendan look forward to catching up and uh thanks for the work you do for helping coaches everywhere love the podcast as i said i can't thank adam enough boy uh he, he's one of those guys that i just love to speak to and i you know i can't wait to visit in person with him because uh his ideas that, you know, the way he can teach and stuff as a young guy and a former excellent player at the college and professional level and his ability to teach players from around the world experiencing the Olympics, just amazing. So we really thank him for being our guest uh, and really look forward uh, to visiting with him, especially when we go out uh, to Vegas this summer for our Coaching You Live VIP event. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. Brendan Sir.